Well, I'm going to talk through John 13 today, and John 13 is a, um, it's kind of the beginning of a, a discourse of discipleship messages from 15, uh, 13 all the way through 17. Um, and if you follow the, the weekly reading plan, you'll see that that's kind of the, the reading over the next five days. Um, so if you'll follow that, you'll kind of see these. But this is the first one that John lays out where Jesus is laying out some things for his disciples. Um, and so we're at a place in this story where we're about 24 hours out from the death of Christ. And he knows that, and so they have gathered in the upper room. These are his disciples, the 12 are with him, and he is going to share with them some things. He's going to give some examples. He's going to teach them some things. But as you can imagine, this is the moment, if you're with somebody for three years, and they know that the end is coming, this is the moment that he's going to share some really important things. And he's going to give them some things that he's going to leave with them for the rest of their time on this earth. And so these chapters are really, I mean, they're some of my favorite chapters in John, but they're really important. And I think we're going to see some things um, this morning that are really incredible. And as we walk through this, you know, part of our mission here at Fellowship is that we want to equip and release you to be reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ. So one thing that I want you to hear as we walk through this scripture today is I want you to hear about the type of of disciple, the type of person that Jesus wants to represent him, that he wants to send out, just like he's doing these 12, as he's been with them and walked with them, and now he's preparing them for his departure. So we're 24 hours away from his death, and this is what it says. John 13, chapter 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, those that he had called to himself, the disciples, those who believed in him, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some other versions say he showed them the fullest extent of his love. Or he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning back to God. So this is the scene that we're in right now in the upper room. He's with his disciples. He knows. In fact, it says he knew, he knew two things. And we'll see a third thing, too. It says Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave. He had fulfilled his purpose here on earth. He knew why he came, and he knew where he was going. And he knew who he belonged to. The second thing that he knew, it says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God, he was going back to God. You know, and when I read that verse, it makes me think of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. He was there in the beginning. He was there in Genesis when the world was created. Things in heaven and on earth. Through him and for him. So all things, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him 
and for him. So this is who we're talking about. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God, God incarnate. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this is the creator of the world, the sustainer of life and of everything. He holds everything together. He is the glue that holds everything together. In verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He is the supreme being, Jesus Christ. He is from the Father. He is going back to the Father. All of these things are being made known. And it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of the fullness of God. Everything that God is, all that he is, he was, that he will be, all of his fullness is dwelling in Jesus. And it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is who we're talking about. This is the Christ. He knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly why he came. And he knows that he has all the power. He holds everything in his hand, and he holds everything together. And I think it's interesting that John includes the little piece in the middle about Judas, because you know what else Jesus knows? Jesus knows that there is one among him that will betray him. So this is the scene that is being set up before us. You've got Jesus, who is everything, who is God in the flesh, and he's about to lay out some things for his disciple, his own, and show them the fullest extent of his love. Some version, when they say that he loved them to the end, he loved them all the way to the cross. When he said, it is finished. And he's about to show them the fullest extent of his love. On one level, it's the washing that we're going to see, but on a much larger level, it goes to his cross and his resurrection, and ultimately to his second coming, when he will come and reign as king. So he knows all these things. He understands who he is, that he has all the power and everything. And look what he does. So he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, after that, he poured water in a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I mean, are you, are you serious? He's the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the sustainer of all things, and he is going to wash the dirty feet of the disciples. You know, if, if I was writing, I, I would have said, and then he said, hey, someone get the water basin and wash my feet. Because I'm your king. I didn't say that. He said he got up and he took off his outer clothing. And he probably wrapped something around him like a towel, mostly naked, in a very vulnerable state. And in humility, he got down on his knee as a servant, as a slave in that time period, and he began to wash their feet. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. 
And he said, and he washed the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, the tradition then held that when you would travel and you would enter a home, there would be a servant. There would be someone there, the lowliest of low people, the bottom of the barrel. That, whoever was there washing, that, that, was, that was the bottom. But there would be somebody there that would have water in a container and they would take off your sandals and they would wash the dirt and the grime and all the stuff off your feet because you traveled on dirty roads. But yet Jesus does this. Can you see this scene? Can you picture this? They're all sitting and it didn't happen before the meal. If it should have played out like it would have, then the disciples, one of them should have jumped up and grabbed the basin and washed the feet as people were entering. But that's not what happened, was it? They got to the meal, they're sitting around, and the God of the universe takes off his clothes, wraps a towel around him, and begins to wash their feet. I mean, it's absolutely one of the most humbling things and acts of humility I think we get to see in the Scripture. Philippians 2 talks about this. It says, Who being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he found appearance, he, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, this, once again, is one of the most humbling things that you can do. One of the most vulnerable things that you can do is you lower yourself and you begin to wash the feet of another. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about the kind of people that God wants to represent him. And this is the beginning of what he's laying out here. He's acting out what's going to happen through his death and through the resurrection. We get to see the picture of this right before our eyes as we read this scripture. Even down to the point where he unwrapped himself and is basically in a loincloth because that's how he went to the cross, naked and exposed as he hung on the cross. So it's a foreshadowing of what's coming, but it's one of the most humbling things that we see in scripture. You know, I think we, we see the fullest extent of Christ's love fulfilled here. As he is playing out this scene, as he is on a knee scrubbing the filth and the dirt and the grime off of their feet, making his way around the table, I think we're seeing in real time the fulfillment of his love, the fulfillment of what will ultimately take place on the cross. And for us, we can look back and we see that. But can you imagine what they were going through right then? And remember who's in the room. It's his own, those that he loves, but also one that he knows would betray him. As we move on, we come to this scene with Peter. 
And you got to love Peter. I, I really like Peter. Um, you know, Peter's always the guy that jumps out quick. Peter's the guy that says something first. He's the guy that a lot of times is putting his foot in his mouth and, you know, saying things. And, and we'll see this is, is kind of no different. But look at this interaction. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, practically, I think he's asking the question that all of them are probably thinking, right? I mean, they're sitting there going, oh, what is going on here? And I think Peter's just asking, hey, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So he's trying to show them something. He's trying to give them an example and to tell them some truth in what's going on and prepare them for his departure as he goes back to the Father and as they continue the ministry. And then Peter says this. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Isn't that amazing? What, what do you think was going through Peter's mind? No, you shall, you're not going to wash my feet. Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it a lack of understanding? What's going on in Peter's mind? Why is he saying that? Where does he have an, an understanding? Remember, he's the one that says, you're the Christ. Does he have some sort of understanding? or is, Why is he pushing this offer that Jesus is doing for them away. And I don't know why it was so hard for Peter to accept what Christ was offering. But aren't we the same way? Don't we struggle when it comes to allowing Christ as he offers his grace and his mercy to us? Just as Peter in this moment says, oh, no, Lord, you can't. You're not going to wash my feet. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. God, Lord, you can't. No, I'm not going to let you do that. We do those same things. We say, Lord, no, you don't, you don't get it. You don't really understand who I am. Father, God, you don't know what I've done. I can't, there's no way I can accept that from you. That undeserved merit, I can't take on what you're offering. A lot of times it's that. We don't feel worthy. Or maybe we think we don't need it. I don't need that. I've got whatever it is. I'm comfortable in this world. I don't need you to wash my feet, Jesus. But I really think with Peter it was the other. I think it was him not understanding and saying, Lord, you don't know who I am. You can't wash my feet. Well, this has huge implications as we continue on. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus answers, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then he said, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus goes on. But let's talk about this first piece. Where Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Some versions say, you have no fellowship with me. You don't have any dealings with me. If you don't allow me to get down on my knee and to wash your feet. 
Now, there's more than just the practical going on here. 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship, remember that's what we're talking about. He says, if you don't let me wash you, you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me. You have no fellowship with me. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And it goes on, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I think is going on here. You've got this picture of, of Peter refusing to accept this offer of grace, this offer of mercy of what Jesus is doing. But as we see here, if we don't know how to deal with the sin in our life, if we don't understand what it means to really live under grace, and we push that away, what does Jesus say? You've got no fellowship with me. You've got no part with me. I was talking with a guy this week about grace and what that really looks like. It's hard to understand, isn't it? It's hard to really grasp how we live under grace because in the world we live in, everything is performance. Man, if you are up here, you're doing this, well, then you get all these accolades and this praise. Man, if I just do enough of this or I just do this right or I just, whatever, fill in the blank. If you do enough, then you feel like, okay, now I'm loved. But in God's world, in the world that Jesus lives in, he flips it over. And he says, no. He says, if you want to be great, then you've got to be the least. If you want to have part with me, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. And remember, he's talking to his disciples who have been with him for three. If you want to have fellowship with me, he says, you have to allow me to wash your feet. You have to understand what it means to come to me with all that you are. All your imperfections. All your filth. All the dirt. All the grime. All the sin in your life. You have to come to me. And you have to surrender and give it to me. And you have to let me wash your feet. You have to let me cleanse you. This is more of a daily thing that I think is going on here with Peter. And as he continues, Jesus answers, he says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. This is what he tells him. He says, and you are clean, though not every one of you, because he was talking about Judas. There's one who's not clean, there's 11 who are. But he says, you're already clean. You're completely clean. That's salvation. If you have trusted Christ, if you have believed the gospel, you are clean. We went through Romans. The righteousness of God has been imputed to each and every one of you if you have responded to the gospel. You're clean. But he's looking at Peter and he's going, but if you don't let me wash your feet, I don't have anything to do with you. 
I need people and disciples who are going to come to me and are going to deal with their sin and they're going to let me cleanse them and they're going to let me make them clean and offer them the grace and the mercy every single day that they need to live in this world. I really feel like this is one of the most, I mean, seeing the display of grace is just phenomenal in this passage. As we see the creator of the world on a knee, washing the feet, offering this to those who are his own. And as he continues in verse 12, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus is always asking questions. Do you understand? Do you get it? We know the disciples struggled, and they were there with him. We struggle to understand, don't we? We, un- we struggle to understand what's going on as well. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That's who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, or very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So he is laying this out for them, and he is saying, look, I am your Lord. I'm your master. I am your teacher. I am the supreme one. But as you have just seen me do, you need to do the same thing. I've given you the example. Now you need to wash one another's feet. Let's think about the implications of this as we just talked about Peter. What are the implications of washing one another's feet? What does that look like? Because we know it's more than just the physical act of, yeah, I need to serve people. I mean, I think that's there on one level. Jesus is saying, yeah, you need to be a servant. You need to serve people. But as we'll see a little bit later, Jesus is saying, you need to wash one another's feet. You need to be in the position that I am. You need to offer them the grace and the mercy that only comes through me. You need to offer them the grace and the mercy that first you receive for yourself, And then you're willing to offer to someone else. That only comes through the gospel. And remind one another as we wash one another's feet. To remind one another of his incredible love for us. Because we can't make it in this world without that reminder. And we can't be a light in a dark place if we don't live under that grace. And he says, as you do this, as you wash one another's feet, as you remind one another of my grace and my mercy and my love, he says, you will be blessed as you do this. And let's not forget who was in the room. It wasn't just those that he loved, but also the one that was going to betray him. How hard is that for us to do? Jesus is laying up a pretty big order here, isn't he? But it's not apart from him and his Holy Spirit. 
But it's not just about washing the feet of those that we like or washing the feet of those that we are good pals with. But it's also washing the feet of someone that maybe you don't like or they don't like you. You don't agree with them. You don't agree with the way they live. You don't agree with the the things they do. Their political aversion. The way they feel about different things. I don't know what it is for you. God is calling us to something amazing here. And it's not just washing the feet of our Christian brothers and sisters, but it's washing the feet of the world in order for them to hear and understand the gospel of grace. And he goes on, he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. He's talking about Judas again. And he goes, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. And here, this is one of those things where who I am, some say I am he, but the truth is you could stop it with what I have in bold, I am. So that when this happens, when you see the fulfillment of the one that's going to betray me, You will believe that I am the great I am. He is God in the flesh. And he's laying it out for him right here. That I am who I am. Look at this last part. Because this is really amazing. Again, he says, very truly or truly, truly. Pay attention to this piece. Truly, truly, I tell you. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Did y'all catch that? Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Look at this back one chapter earlier in John 12, 44. It says this, Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me shall stay in darkness. No one who believes in me shall stay in darkness. This is really amazing, because God is saying, Jesus is ready to send them out, but he's saying, if people accept you because you're my representative, then they're going to accept me, and by accepting me, they accept the Father. I don't think we live in that power Now, we know this only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, but I don't think we live there. I don't think we truly understand that as we go with his authority, Matthew 28, with his gospel, that as people accept that, as they accept us, they accept him and in turn accept the Father. We have the opportunity to be a part of building the church, a part of building his kingdom when we are the disciples that he wants us to be. What a privilege and what an honor that we have to not worry about our own lives and worry about all the stuff going on, but that we get to lower ourselves as a servant. We get to wash the feet of another. And that as we portray Jesus, and as we live out our calling of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, 
that the world will come to know him because of us. What an incredible opportunity. So who's God calling as his disciples? As we look at this story, as he's preparing them for what's to come in the next few chapters, and ultimately for the rest of their life, and ultimately it's handed to us. The same opportunity is given to you and to I. Who's he calling? The kind of people that God, that Jesus wants to represent him, is somebody who's willing to give it all away. If you want to save your life, it says you will lose it. It says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. God wants people who are willing to humble themselves to a servant status. They're willing to bow down to the lowest place possible. And I don't know what that looks like for you. You know, maybe it says you, you deal with someone at work. Maybe it's a relationship in your family. Maybe it's a relationship with someone that you know. And it may not be the person that's easy to love. It may be the person that's the hardest to love that you go, you know what? I need to serve them. I need to serve them and lower myself so that they can see who God really is. I think this is amazing truth that was revealed in these scriptures as he's preparing his disciples to go out and to carry on the building of his church and the building of his kingdom. And we're compelled by Christ's ultimate act of love. Or we should be compelled by that. We should be compelled by what we know is coming when he goes to the cross. And that we're given the power to do this through the Holy Spirit. But I think the, the big turning point of this, this morning, of these scriptures, is dealing with our own lives and understanding that if we're going to deny that we have sin like Peter was doing, if we're going to push off Jesus and say, I don't want you washing my feet, for whatever reason, I'm unworthy, I'm dirty, I'm unclean, whatever it is, or I don't need you, I'm good. I think Jesus is going, if you don't let me wash your feet, if you don't let me give you the grace that I want to give you, we don't deserve it anyway. But he goes, if you don't let me do that, I have no part with you. I think we've got to become people who understand where we are in relationship with Jesus. We understand that we're not perfect, that we sin all the time, but we don't run from him, but we run to him. Really, Peter should have said, Lord, wash my feet, wash them tomorrow, wash them the next day, wash them the next day. Because it's the daily thing of dealing with our lives, dealing with our sin, and surrendering our lives to him. And following his ultimate example of being a humble servant. And doing all of that, not so we receive glory, but so that he receives glory. And that the world will be changed 
through him. There's some next steps on your outline. Sometimes I write these early in the week and they still relate though. Allow God to love you no matter what. I mean, this is this grace thing. I understand it's hard to do, but you have to allow God to love you no matter what you've done in your life or what you think you're going to do. It's not about you. It's about what he's done. I think part of this is you've got to realize and deal with your sin and lay that before him. He doesn't want disciples who are are deceiving themselves thinking, I'm good, I I don't need you anymore. He wants disciples who are coming to him and receiving that foot washing. Whose feet do you need to wash? Who is it in your life that you need to go to? And lower yourself and serve them. And like I said, I don't know who that is. But remember, we live in a world that is different from this culture. This culture says, if you're up here, you're everything. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, then be the least. So who is it in your life that you need to lower yourself and offer them the same grace and the same mercy that God offers you?